If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, looking at the end of verse 18, uh, all the way to the end of uh, verse 30. And we're in this series through the book of Philippians called Together for the Gospel. And today, we're wrapping up chapter 1. We're looking at these verses and this letter to uh, the church in Philippi from the Apostle Paul um, is really a letter from, from Paul from prison. This is where he's at, but despite the location for Paul, his letter is filled with joy. In fact, Paul begins to explain his purpose, not only in prison, but also in his life. What we're going to read later in verse 21 is that we see Paul say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A very uh, popular quoted verse in the entire New Testament. And really it's for good reason. Because this is what living and dying is about. It's about Christ. Living is about serving Christ and dying is about being, 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 with, being with, with Christ. But unfortunately, as we read this, and I've told you this many times before, the, the English translation doesn't truly capture the full beauty of this verse. There's no verb in Greek to really go after this in its entirety. And so we usually supply it with the word is, to live is Christ. But other verbs could be supplied to describe the idea of purpose, of meaning, of center, of foundation, and and of power. So to live means Christ. To live depends on Christ, and to live honors Christ. And so the English translation really tries to get at the full weight of the verse, but it really comes out in the Greek. That as one commentator puts it, it's the drumbeat repetition of the same sounds. That Paul's own heartbeats are heard in the rhythms of these words. And so the application of this verse appears with the little phrase at the beginning, for to me... So Paul resolved that he would live for Christ. And and what we know, and as we get into this, what I think is important for us to remember is that everyone at one point or another has to answer this question. To live is fill in the blank. All of us, wherever we're at in our own life, have to answer this question. And so really, this is a statement of purpose. It's a question of purpose. No one leaves this sentence blank. And everyone finishes it with something. And so if you don't fill the blank with Christ, the question is really, what do you fill it with? I mean, purpose is something that is often heavy on the hearts and the minds of humanity. We're we're constantly searching for meaning in life. We're constantly searching for meaning in work, meaning in, 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 in family, uh, purpose and process and personality, and even in our self entirely, because we want our lives to mean something. We want our lives to mean something, and for the most part, this is what we all want. I mean, many religions and, and groups, and even uh, atheists and agnostics really go after this question. I mean, we see this in other religions. The, the Dalai Lama, the monk of Buddhism, said the purpose of our lives is to be happy. Uh, Stephen Hawking, an English theoretical physicist said, work gives you meaning and purpose, and life is empty without it. And uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, if I said that correctly, who was a Russian novelist and journalist and philosopher, said, the mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive, but in finding something to live for. 
And then uh, a gal named Rebecca Rosen, an author, a spiritual medium, so basically a a, a pagan, a, a person who is kind of a motivational speaker, said your feelings and emotions are your strongest indicators if your life is moving in a purposeful direction or not. So listen closely to how you feel. Now, here's what I want you to know as I quote all of these. These are bad statements of application for purpose. These are these type of things that are really self-focused. And so what begins to happen, whether you have or you haven't gone after this type of purpose that our culture speaks of, is really when you come up empty. When you come up empty, searching for this kind of purpose, feeling further without purpose, you begin to over and over again grow discontent and even grow concerned that what you're doing is not enough And even worse, it will never be enough. So really, in all of these quotes, our our culture is saying the purpose of life is to do everything in your own power to fill how you feel. So your best in mind, your best forward, whatever you can do. But the Bible says over and over and over again, Christ is life itself. That in him and through him and by him alone is purpose. And by the way, that's regardless of how you feel. And so this is one of the major differences between the believer and the non-believer, because the non-believer is constantly looking for ways to find happiness and purpose in life based on their own condition. But the believer, the person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and trusted in him alone, has purpose because they have Christ And regardless of feelings or regardless of circumstances, they even have joy. And so joy understood biblically, as we've talked about before, must be understood to be related to God. So it must be understood that it is that which comes to be yours in Christ. It must be understood to be a permanent possession of every believer, so it's, it's not some whimsical experience that comes and it goes as opportunities rise and fall. So really, if, if I was to title this section and, and really help us see the, the point and the purpose of the text, I would probably call it joy and purpose by life in Christ. Because where our culture would say, find it in yourself, find it in what you do, find it in other people, Paul's going to go and show us that, no, 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 your joy and your purpose is found only in Christ, even to your death. And so as Paul writes in this final section of chapter 1, he answers this question for us and shows us that regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we have or who we are, Christ is life itself, even to the point of death. And so what we're going to see and really unpack from our text this morning is that whether in life or death, our purpose is Christ, that while we are in the flesh, we seek fruitful labor where our manner of life would be worthy of the gospel. So we're going to read starting in the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So in Paul's writing here, 
As he begins this section, he's thanking the Philippians in their prayer for him. And he points out really, and this is what we need to understand of true importance, even in the midst of their prayers, that God is at work, even though many don't see it. That it's not the the prayer of the Philippians in and of itself that would meet Paul's need, but that it was the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ that came to Paul. And so Paul had confidence that God was going to work out his current situation and his current position in prison for his good and unto God's glory. And so I think there's something amazing to learn from Paul here because we often struggle to see beyond our flesh and the dimly lit future we see. No matter how we try to to figure out life, we just don't see what God sees. And I think sometimes in that, we feel that God isn't present. We, even when we don't feel it, God is still at work. That when we look to God, we can say with confidence that we'll face what we face will turn out for our deliverance, deliverance by prayer and the help of the Spirit. And so we see, we, we read in verse 20 that Paul tells us that it's his eager expectation and hope that he will not be at all ashamed. So really what Paul says here, these are words of faith. And what's important here to note is that some really viewed Paul's imprisonment as something to be ashamed of. They viewed it as something that hindered the gospel and really hindered his ministry. But Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed. I see purpose in my imprisonment. I see purpose where God has me right now. And I am seeing Christ's work in my chains. And so Paul's confidence is not in human condition or a hopeful result of his sentence from prison. It's in Christ and in him alone. That though he was in prison and awaiting trial before Caesar, Paul had the confidence that he was in the center of God's will. That God was still at work even when he didn't see it. That he knew that God wasn't punishing him through the adversity he experienced at the time. And so for us, I think this is another incredible thing. That this is not why we face adversity. That pain and trials are not God's punishment for a lack of something in the Christian's life. It is a reality in a fallen world because the presence of something. So remember, the reason Paul is in prison is for believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for being a Christian and for sharing the good news of the gospel. And so for Paul, he isn't taking this as something to be ashamed of. He sees purpose in it. I mean, could you imagine that? Seeing purpose in your unfortunate workplace. Seeing purpose in dead-end family relationships. Seeing purpose in what seems difficult. So really for Paul, as he's chained to jailers day after day, he's seen his captive audience as an opportunity to even share the gospel. And so this is why Paul continues to say in the end of verse 20, with purpose, that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. That Paul focused his entire life on honoring Christ that he looked at his condition. He acknowledged, man, I'm in in prison. This is not a great space to be, but still it's a mission field for the gospel to advance. And so Paul lived his life 
not to care for or promote himself, but to glorify Jesus Christ. So whether it ended in life or or in death, this was going to end well for Paul. And so this is why Paul continued to say in verse 21, to live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ and to die as gain. And he said this because Paul knew that life was an opportunity for the Christian. That no matter what the circumstances, there was opportunity in front of him. And he also knew that death was not a defeat to the Christian, but it was merely a graduation to glory. So for the Christian, for the Bible-believing, believing in Jesus Christian, there is great purpose in life, and there's even gain in death. That life in Christ is really the outworking of the life and the mind of Christ in us, whatever our circumstances may be. So even when we feel the weight and the brokenness and the depravity of this world, because of Christ in us, we can see purpose in it. That is, we're right here now on this earth, in this physical shell, in the midst of feeling more and more the weight and the brokenness and the depravity, we see a mission field. That Jesus has a greater mission for us beyond our moment. So consider what Paul is saying to this church about his current space. Think about the very public statement he's just made in verse 21. I mean, you don't say that you're going to live for Christ if there's no labor for Christ. You're not going to say that Christ is my life if you're not going to make your whole life focused around living for Christ. So if you're going to represent him, if you're going to speak of him and live for him, then that means you're going to have to go public. And public for Christ means not just with our words and with that statement and with that confession, but also with our actions, with every area of our living. So Paul goes on to say in the next several verses that we're going to read that while he remains in the flesh, it's going to mean fruitful labor for him to further the gospel and to really encourage the believers. And so he says, starting in verse 22, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So for Paul here, He felt the tension between remaining in the flesh and going home to be with Christ. And and we know many times Paul is an interesting dude for wonderful reasons. I mean, some people want to die because they hate this life. They want nothing else to do with this life. But Paul was ready and willing to die because he looked forward to life in Christ and in heaven with him. And so Paul's saying, I'm I'm at this tension to to die is to go home and be with Christ. To live is for your own good. And so Paul understood that for the Christian, death is nothing more than a change of address. But for the sake of others, he was willing to remain here in the flesh. And really in doing so, he was determined to have it be fruitful work for the gospel. 
But first, what we need to understand is that Paul was indeed eager to be with Christ. I mean, we've looked many times at the condition of where Paul is at. Remember, the way we think of prison is not the condition of prison that Paul is in. It's a dimly lit space, intentionally not letting a lot of light in. You are chained to a jailer constantly who probably is talking down to you, maybe physically abusing you at times, and, and, and on and on it goes. There's probably one or two bathrooms for hundreds of people. There's uh, low amounts of, of food. And I mean, imagine the chains that he's in. I mean, physically, these chains weigh about 10 to 15 pounds, either around the neck, the, the hands, or the feet. They were chained So Paul's condition would put him at an eager state to be with Christ. I mean, in verse 23, he said that to be with Christ is far better. But here's what's incredible about Paul's focus. He also saw that to remain in the flesh was good for the sake of others. Paul saw this. He was intentional with this thought. And really, I think it's sad and even discouraging that there are some that are so concerned and so consumed with themselves that they're not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God with their lives. And yet Paul is in the least space that we would imagine possible to share the gospel, to live a purposeful life. And he looks at it and he says, to live as Christ. I mean, wherever you put Paul, we looked at this last week, wherever you put Paul, he desires to bring glory to God. He shares the gospel and he's beaten and they say, okay, we're almost going to kill you. Awesome. Under the glory of God. And then then further, they put him in prison and they say, we're going to get you here. So you stop speaking this. And he converts the whole jail to the glory of God. I mean, what do you do with a guy like that? And, And yet many are looking at their lives and they're more concerned and they're more consumed with themselves than they are with sharing the truth of the gospel. So Paul has a different story than a self-centered one. He, he knows that it's better, it's far better to be with Christ in eternity. But for, but for Paul, he saw his imprisonment and his condition as a means and opportunity to encourage this type of person, to see them begin to bear fruit. And so remember in verse 25, he told the church that his reason for staying was for their progress and their joy in the faith. And so I want you to listen to this, church. What, what we are facing in our lives is not only an opportunity for us to bear fruit in Christ, but also to serve and to encourage other believers. So let me ask you this. Are you serving others? And I mean actively, not passively, not, I, I gave a few dollars to this person uh, sometime last month. I, I, I uh, Facebooked out something as an encouragement. Hey, read this Bible verse, but I mean, actively serving. Because really, Paul sees that it's necessary to be intentional with his living here. Paul said that it was necessary in verse 24 for the Philippians that he stay alive. I mean, think about this. Paul's saying, listen, it's far better for me to go home with Christ, but listen, it's necessary for your sake. I'm considering you. So let's just have a gut check moment. Is it necessary for you to stay in this church? I mean, if you left, would people really miss you? I mean, think about that for a second. Now, we need to understand that Paul, at the same time, isn't saying that the church will fall apart if he dies. 
okay? So the church is not going to fall apart if you or I die. Things may change, but they're not going to fall apart because Jesus is Lord over his church. Not Paul, not me, and certainly not you and the rest of everyone else. So we believe in the sovereignty of God. But when I ask this question, what what we're getting at, as Paul is getting at, is really the, the body analogy that is often used regarding the church. That really, if you were to take my arm, I'm going to miss it. If you take my ear, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to feel and I'm really going to face some limitations because those parts are important. And so what Paul is saying is I'm doing important work here and it's necessary for your sake because I know if I was removed, there are some ways that you would feel limitation in that. You would be disconnected in that. And so I see to remain here is for your good. And so this was Paul's outlook to remain in the flesh that he was able to be fruitful by serving the body, that he was so committed to the believers around him that he put aside his own needs and considered them. I mean, even if we look at this, this is incredibly countercultural because we're constantly surrounded by a me mentality. The world is constantly bent towards the idea of, let me better myself. Let me fill myself. And if you don't believe that's true, wait till January 1, 2018. What's the big focus? How do I better me? How do I bring all of these resolutions to make me feel better and look better and sound better? So really consider that. Because Paul's Paul's taking a whole different approach. Regardless of me, I'm going to remain in the flesh for your sake. I mean, look at the great intent and willingness of Paul to stay, to remain. That he's serving so that they would have progress and even joy in the faith. And really those two words, progress and joy, are united and leading to the same end goal. It's really his desire that it would lead to deeper faith. And so that's why Paul wants to stay in the flesh. It's so that people can grow spiritually So what this text means is Paul is viewing it necessary to remain so that he can be serving the body. It means helping people grow in their faith, helping people have more joy in Christ. It means ministering so that others would glorify Jesus more and more. So church, are you intentionally serving? See, this fruitfulness in your living is really the fruit by which others can see the inward change of your new life. That really, that you are drawn to Christ. That you are in Christ. That he has changed you and he continues through the process of sanctification to continue to change you and to mold you to be more and more like him. That others might see that. So we learn here from Paul that our lives have purpose because of Christ and that we have an opportunity to serve and to help in such a way that would point believers towards a deeper faith and even the non-believer towards Christ. And so we see then Paul continue in verse 27 through 30. Paul then begins to really kind of shift to instruct the church and how their lives can be fruitful. 
sharing that, listen, it's necessary for my sake to be intentional, to stay in the flesh. And here's what I would encourage you and stir you on as the body of Christ to be. That you would follow a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And so we see, starting in verse 27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in, any, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. See, what these verses convey is Paul's main reason for writing to the Philippian church. It's really to urge them to stand together for the gospel in the face of persecution and in the face of suffering. And so really that means that every area of our life would be centered around the gospel. That the gospel is love, so we are loving people. That the gospel is about justice, so we are people who fight for justice. The gospel is joyous, and so we are a joy-filled people. And where the gospel is about reconciled relationship with God, we are then a people who reconcile to one another. And that really is played out in how we value one another in the church. And that also because the gospel is about grace towards the undeserving, we are a humble people. So essentially, we can really land here on Paul's purpose not only for his life, but for the, the, the church in Philippi. That the gospel is to be the center of every, every area of our life. So it's shaping everything that we are, how we think and how we live. And in verses 27 and 28, Paul mentions several traits of what the believers living should be marked by together. He says that we should be standing firm in one spirit. We should, be in a, we should be of one mind, striving side by side, and that we should not be frightened in anything by our opponents. And so these traits in us, Paul is saying, are what point people to the good news of the gospel. That when people see us and how we live, they should be able to see Christ in us. And so as Paul speaks that we should stand firm in one spirit, that phrase, stand firm, describes a Roman military term. It's really a formation in which soldiers stood shoulder to shoulder and back to back with their, with their shields up and their spears outward. It was, in fact, the strongest possible defense position. And so impacting the world with the message of the gospel begins as Christians stand together in one spirit, that we have a strong formation, that we're not easily swayed back and forth by other ideas or other thoughts that are counter completely to the gospel. And really, if, if we're honest, too often we allow petty arguments and minor differences to penetrate through gospel belief and gospel relationships. 
I mean, honestly, sometimes as Christians are better at dividing ourselves over small things than standing together on things that really matter. Now, I'm not referring to defending doctrine as though that's a bad thing, but rather the arguments we have over minor theological differences and really day-to-day differences. I mean, when a a church uh, divides over doctrine, one choosing to remain true to the doctrine of the Bible, that's not a bad thing. What's a bad thing is when they divide over church carpet color. I mean, come on. And I'm not kidding. These are real things. These are real things. A preference of worship style, preference of how the, the, the leadership should dress and, and not like, hey, you should dress appropriately. That's a good thing. But, but as though like they should wear certain things, they should look a certain way that that makes it better. There's foolish things we're divided over and we're not standing firm. That sometimes in the midst of that, we're choosing to be led by how we feel rather than on what we know. But sometimes the disagreements are gospel-centered. They are, they are doctrinally true. I mean, such as the reformers' opposition to the Catholic Church, where the Catholic Church was focused on works-based theology and, and their unwillingness even to care for people. The reformers stood and they said, this is not the God of the Bible that we are preaching. This is not the true gospel, and we are not okay with this. And so that was a gospel-centered disagreement for them to become separated But it's no wonder that when people hear God loves you from us, in their minds what often follows of the the Christian life is God loves you, but we really hate each other. I mean, sometimes this is true in people's mind. And it makes sense that they don't want what we have to offer. So really, church, if we're not standing firm together in one spirit, then what we have to offer is not the gospel. It's really a, a, some type of religious division and empty churchiness. But this is exactly why Paul said that we must also be standing firm with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That the idea here is really that we are united together. And really, Christian unity is one of Paul's major concerns throughout the letter of Philippians. And so for you and I to pursue this kind of unity together, we have to be clear about what kind of unity it is. That it's authentic, real unity. So this is not just 60 minutes of church service on a Sunday morning. It's not just a one hour of Bible study. This is where we are stepping into relationship to be fully known and to fully know one another. This is where we need to be real real about where we are in our walk, be real about what God is revealing to us in our lives, how he is molding us and how he is even convicting us that the Christian life is not man's made vision of being a good person. It's God's wholeness and his righteousness offered to a wrecked and sinful people by Jesus and in Jesus. But really, we have to allow ourselves to be fully known. We have to be willing to be fully known. That being united together really means we are stepping into the community of believers. And really what's true, whether you're an introvert or not, that's really risking everything. But it's with the purpose of Christ. That we would be united together. 
Because I think really many of us are, are sitting back and we go through the motions without ever risking stepping into unity. That maybe for some of us, we may dabble in community, but we're really not risking authentic community. We're really not risking authentic Christian community. And maybe for you, it's because of, it's because of pain or it's because of hurt, past disunity, uh, uh, or, or for some, a, a lack of interest. Uh, it's, just, it's just not me. But let me tell you this, it, it's much harder for you to feel loved and to love others and have deep community if you are hiding. And, and really, I believe that, that you can't try to be married to Christ and be divorced to his church. That I don't get. That I don't see in scripture. In fact, over and over again, it says, yeah, it's gonna get tough. Stick together. So to the fellow believers in the room, let your manner of living show the gospel in such a way that you care deeply, even for the struggling believer who's in hiding and for the spiritually dying unbeliever in plain sight. We see Paul finally go on to describe in verse 28 that in these things together, we should also not be frightened in anything by our opponents. Now, in anything is a huge statement. In some ways, we, we think of, of many different ways that we could be frightened. And Paul says, don't be frightened in anything. But he reminds the believers to keep the right focus. That for the persecutor, there is destruction, but for the persecuted, there is salvation. There is life and there is gain. So in one way or another, I want you to understand this. We are going to face opposition. Uh, One of the things uh, Trevor said was, uh, we're not promised a, a good life as we begin to follow Christ. We're going to face adversity. This is why Paul is telling the church to stand together in the gospel and even as he says in verse 29, to suffer for Christ's sake. I mean, in, in, in some ways, this is completely counter to American Christianity. American Christianity is really this concept that we do what we want under the glory of God. But really to the glory of God means regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I want, I'm going to seek the glory of God. And so American Christianity sometimes is this idea that if we prosper, God is pleased in us. And when we suffer, God must be displeased in us. But unfortunately, although that's preached all throughout America, that's a lie. Because scripture over and over and over again clarifies you're going to suffer at one point or another. You're either coming out of a season of struggling, you're walking into, or you're right in the middle of. And so some of you are in that season. You're facing opposition. You're facing adversity. Maybe you're going through trials right now. Your job maybe feels like a prison sentence. Maybe your marriage is difficult. Maybe your, your, your work environment as a whole is just a Christless space. Maybe your family and your friends are lost or unchurched, and yet you're joined to them. And maybe it's something else that I'm, that I'm not listing here, but some of us are going through real trials, through real struggles. 
And my point here is that like Paul, in our adversity and in our suffering, there is a purpose and there is even an opportunity for fruitful labor. I mean, remember remember Paul's confidence that God was going to work out his current situation in prison, his position in prison for his good and under the glory of God. So consider right now, just as we come to a close this morning, that statement that we ended with, that we all at one point or another have to fill in the blank. To live is what? Because Paul would quickly fill in the answer. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Because really for Paul, his whole life was centered around Christ. He knew that life was an opportunity for the Christian no matter what the circumstances. And he even knew that death was not a defeat to the Christian, but merely a graduation to glory. So this morning, church, as we consider how we would fill in the blank there to the question that the Apostle Paul gives, let me close by asking this. Is your manner of living based on Christ? Is your manner of living, no matter what you walk through, no matter what you are facing, no matter the wonderful things in life that are presented to you or the quite truthfully awful things that are presented to you, is your manner of living based on Christ? And even I would go further and say based on Christ alone. Let's pray.